I distinctly remember a time, a day, where I was in year five at school, so I was about 10 years old, and um, I was in front of a teacher, Miss Facer, and she was telling me off for something. I can't quite remember what. It wasn't a very rare occurrence for me to get told off. And I remember this day being stood in front of her and realizing, I don't actually have to listen to you. That although you have the authority in this situation, you get to set the rules, you do have some kind of control over me in that sense, I don't actually have to follow what you say and be obedient to what you want me to do. And to be honest, not doing what I'm told seems a lot more fun to me and feels a lot more fun than doing what you ask. I know that I am meant to be sitting quietly and listening in school, but I really, really, really love flicking pencils at my friends. So I'm going to do that. All of us, to some extent, I'm sure most of you were way more well-behaved than I was as a 10-year-old at school, but all of us struggle with the idea of obedience. Being told what to do and how to live our lives rarely seems to us to be better than choosing our own path, deciding for ourselves what we are going to do, whether it is by teachers or your boss at work, or the government, or God himself. There's something within us that tends to think, my path is best. I know the right way. But this morning, I want to talk about why obedience to God is, in fact, really good news for us. This is, as Matt said, the second part in our series in the book of Haggai, which is an obscure book. You may not have heard of this book, even if you've been coming to church for many years, perhaps, and are quite familiar with your Bible. You might think, I don't really know what Haggai is about at all. It's a very short book. It's only got two chapters in it. It's right at the end of the Old Testament. But it is a book that is highly relevant to us, as we see God's people within it are navigating similar circumstances that have a lot of parallels with the life that we're living today. And so whether you're a... Um, whether you're a regular at church, maybe a regular at Revelation Church, or whether coming to church today, maybe supporting a friend in their baptism, it's a, it's a new thing for you. You think, I don't normally come to church. I believe that there is something for you in today's message, as we will see how obedience to God, even though it might go right against our natural instincts, leads us to a place that we would never find for ourselves, and how that place is actually the place that our souls have been longing for. So I'm calling today's message, if you'd like to take notes, saying yes to God. And I believe this morning that God wants to speak to us. And maybe even for some people, he wants to meet with you today. And that we're going to finish at the end with an opportunity for prayer, opportunity for you to respond in some way. So we're going to read from Scripture, from Haggai chapter 1, from verse 12. And again, you are going to perhaps hear names and ideas and things like think what is going on here my intention is hopefully as we go through unpacking it and bringing enough explanation that even if you're coming to it totally fresh you'll get something so verse 12 then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as their the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, 
declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So as our passage opens up here, we read of a group of people, as we saw in verse 12, who obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Haggai, you're maybe not familiar with the Bible, you might think, surely this is just standard. The Bible must be absolutely full of people who hear from God and then just do exactly as he says, right? Well, actually, that is not as common as you would think. The Bible is not necessarily full of people who hear from God and do exactly what he's saying, and certainly not this people. These people have just returned from 70 years in exile. 70 years in exile from God in a place called Babylon because they had continually, for generation after generation, disobeyed God, not listened to what he had to say, refused to allow God to tell them, this is how you should live. And one way to think of this exile into Babylon one way to think of it. And it does trivialize it slightly, but I do think it does help us understand it and maybe gives us a good picture of something of what God was doing, is that God was putting his people in a 70-year timeout. When I put my boys in a timeout at home, I am doing it because they are not listening to me. They are not listening to how I am saying this is what good behavior looks like. They're not making good decisions. And I need to do something to try and help them see what they're doing is not right. It's not helping them. It's not, it's not a good thing. They need time to be able to reflect on actually how you're, how you're behaving. Is, it's not right. It's not good. And so I, if you like, exile them <laughs> to the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> not for 70 years. We've raised here. And they haven't been disobedient for generations after generations. But the hope is, in doing something like that, as we then have a chance to chat afterwards and give them a chance to say sorry to me, and then I tell them, look, it's okay, I love you, I forgive you. And they then return to the situation, whatever it is, whether they're playing or whatever it is, that then their behavior will be different. They would have had a time to reflect, and then they're coming with a new set of eyes and a new perspective. And that is exactly what God is trying to do in the exile. He is hoping, as he takes his people away, the hope is that they will then come back from this 70 years of being separated from him. They'll return as a people different. They're different from their time away. Now we're going to listen to God. But up until now, this has not been the case. God has asked them when they came back from the exile, okay, now you're coming back into the situation. Will you build my temple? Will you come and rebuild what has been destroyed? But then we join in the book of Haggai, and we're 20 years after they heard that command, 20 years after them returning from this exile. And for all of that time, 20 years, the temple that God has asked them to build has been lying in ruins. The people did not listen. They have done their own thing. The time away has not led to them now being an obedient people. They've just looked after themselves. All the while, God has literally been left on the floor, forgotten. But now, 
they've obeyed. Now they have changed. God has spoken through his prophet, this man, Haggai, as we saw last week in verse 8. He said, go up and build the temple. And now all we read in verse 12, all of them have obeyed. They've responded and said, yes. Well, actually, they didn't say yes. They don't say anything at all. They just start doing. They don't simply agree in their hearts that it's a good thing to do. They don't think, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, God. I will get on with it soon. Immediately, they hear the voice of God and they act. Their response is, we are going to stop living how we have been living and how we want to live. We are turning to God, and now we are going to allow God to tell us what to do and how we should live. Now, I have been a Christian since I was seven years old. I became a Christian in a cow shed near Coventry. So if you've ever been thinking, can anything good come out of Coventry? There is one good thing that can come out of Coventry. (laughs) Apologies, if you're from Coventry, um, I'm sure it's a wonderful place to live in. Certainly a wonderful place to become a Christian in. And now it is my job to teach people about the ways of God. I am a dyed-in-the-wool follower of Jesus. I love him. I, I, I want to devote my life to him, just like some of the guys were sharing before. And yet, there's something about this idea of God just getting to tell me exactly what to do that does make my skin bristle a little bit. I don't know if you're the same. Because I'm also, I'm a product of the culture that I live in and that we all live in. None of us like being told what to do, to be obedient. You tell us, don't press that button, we are pressing that button. Twice. Have some of that. Now, some of that, of course, is just baseline human rebellion, but it's also a large part because we live in modern Western culture and society, which has this idea that I am my own. No one can tell me what to do. No one can tell me how I am to live my life. And so then this idea, this idea of being obedient to God, that he and he alone gets to tell me what I should live like and how I should live, it sounds to us, intuitively, it sounds oppressive and limiting. It might even sound to your ears just harmful and offensive, And yet already this morning, we have heard and we have seen that maybe it's not quite like that. Baptism is an act of obedience. None of these four, when they originally gave their life to following Jesus and decided, yes, we want to give everything we have to him, then logically thought, oh, well, you know what the next thing I should do is? I ought to get in a birthing pool in front of a whole church congregation and allow two people to dunk me under and then come back out of the water again. None of it is madness. None of them would have thought that that was the logical next step in their faith unless they had been taught, unless they were told this is what it looks like. They had to hear the voice of God, if you like, through Scripture. This is what we do as disciples. This is what it looks like to follow him and to be obedient to him. And then they had to choose. Okay, I'm going to do it. Doesn't necessarily make sense. Don't quite know why. But God's asking me, I'll be obedient. They were obedient, if you like, just in the same way as the people in the passage were. They heard the voice of God and they said, yeah, we're going to do it. 
And what I love about each of their stories that we've just heard is that they obeyed God because of what they had already seen of God. They had met God for themselves. They knew who he was. And they thought, yeah, I can choose then to be obedient because of what I've already found. We heard from Armani and Dime how they had encountered God quite vividly in hard times of their life and seen an experience for themselves how God wants to come near to them in their pain and their situation and show them a way out and help them in their moment of need. Hannah was talking about how she's learned over time, God cares about every single part of my life. I can let him in and trust him with everything. And it's through that personal knowledge of getting to know God for themselves, they're able to say, maybe allowing him to say what is best for me might actually be for my good. And it's this that is right at the heart of the obedience in this passage that they obeyed because of what they had seen of God. We go on and read in verse 12 that the people feared the Lord. Sounds like, doesn't it, first reading, you're like, just sounds like they were terrified of God. They did not know what God would do if they did not obey. They were frozen and, and out of blind panic and terror. Of like, What will happen if we do not say yes to God that we've got to obey? It does sound a bit like a sort of snookered into the situation of having to obey. But this fear that we read about here is not that kind of fear. The scholar Joyce Baldwin, as she writes about this, she, she talks about this fear and she says, the fear that we read about here is best understood as being startled wide awake by the voice of God. You see this idea of the fear of God throughout the Bible and very rarely does it mean actually kind of fear in the way that we would use that word commonly, of being terrified in God's presence. Most often it's talking about people who have a vague awareness of God. They don't yet really know him for themselves. Perhaps they've forgotten God. Those people then suddenly becoming very aware of God. Very aware. God is real. The people in this passage would fall right into that category. These were people who had very little personal experience and understanding of who God really was. They'd been separated, as we've already talked about, for 70 years. And so as a people, only the very oldest among them had even the vaguest, tiniest recollection of what it was like when they did previously know God as a people. And they were the sort of very old guys among them that could probably have just been a little bit odd for some of the younger guys. And so they'd sort of they'd heard the stories. They knew about God. They knew that this God was, he was a big part of their story. They had a vague understanding. But this God, he was more of an idea. He was more someone who they had heard about. Just like we heard in, I think, all of the testimonies were, we'd heard about God. But now, suddenly, he speaks, and they experience the fear of God, the startling wide awake by the voice of God. This God that had always sort of been floating around in the background, vague idea, maybe he's there, maybe he's not, not quite sure. Maybe for the first time, right in front of them, this God that they had been told about became real. 
They knew that he was real. Now he was becoming real. In their moment, in their time, to them as individuals. We even see in the passage of this whole group of people, it's picking out individuals, two individuals by name, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. We know their names, we know their fathers, we know their jobs, we know exactly who these people are, and God is picking them out and saying, I want to speak to you. I want you to see, to be startled wide awake, to know I am speaking to you. I'm real to you. And what's remarkable is that this voice that is then making the God of the universe become real to these people, present, alive, personal, is coming through just a man. This man, Haggai. Just a normal guy. A normal guy that God has chosen, but a normal guy, just like us with a normal sounding voice. I very much doubt he would have had like a prophet's voice that he put on when he was like, I'm delivering God's word now. So thus says the voice of God. He would have just been a normal guy. But at the same time, when he spoke, there was something different about his words. There was an authority and a power about what he had. They knew he is revealing something that is worth us listening to, something new to us about this God. He's a normal man, but when he speaks, it is as though he is bringing to us, as we read in verse 13, the Lord's message. And as much as they might have wanted to, they just couldn't ignore. God is speaking. He's trying to get our attention. This is how God speaks to us today. He just uses the most ordinary, most basic forms of communication to try and get hold of us to make us see he's real he's personal he's alive think how easy it would have been for them to dismiss Haggai's words just being like oh he's a bit intense isn't he a bit eccentric who does he think he is talking on behalf of God I actually think we're doing all right God's actually probably pretty happy with us. Let's ignore it. But they just couldn't shake it. They knew God was on their case. They needed to act. And I wonder if you have the feeling today that maybe even you've been trying to ignore. I know God is speaking to me. Maybe you don't yet know God. And you might perhaps have a similar story to Armani's of like, I've actually spent a lot of my life trying to convince myself and prove God does not exist, that he is not real, that he's a made-up character to try and get people to, you know, behave well. And yet over the last few weeks, perhaps you have just become aware. You just know he is trying to speak to you time and time and time again. And it's highly inconvenient because you really don't want to believe in him. But you know. Maybe during the worship time today as we were singing or you heard the stories, you just think, thought, had that feeling again of maybe he's speaking. And your first reaction is to then try and just dismiss it and ignore it and be like, no, 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 it was just nice music, nice songs, nothing more than that. But at the same time, you know internally, this just, I just can't shake it. Maybe there is actually something real here. Or maybe you do know God, and you know that he has been speaking to you recently, asking you to do something or not to do something. 
Maybe for some time he's been asking you to step away from that friendship that you know is just a little bit toxic or to talk to someone about that habit that you have been struggling with or there might be a career move that you know God is moving you towards and you just aren't so sure about it so you've been trying to ignore it or there's a person that you know God wants you to reach out to but you find him really difficult and you've just trying to been, a, been able to ignore his voice so far. But now, just once again, almost like these people, you're hearing his voice again and you're being shaken wide awake to see this is God speaking to me. This is real. I can't ignore him. He's trying to get my attention. And he tries to get our attention because he wants to show us just what he has if we will listen to him. And we will turn to him. Because as Haggai then comes with this message, trying to get God's people to listen to God and move them to obedience, this is what he says in verse 13. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. As he speaks to his people to say, come and go and build the temple This is not a God just giving his people their marching orders, stood off from a distance saying, off you go. Here is a God who wants his people to know, I draw near to you. I want to be involved in your life. I want to know my people. God is wanting to get the attention of these people. He wants to get our attention, not just so that we know that he is real and we're aware of this God, but that we might see that he is present. He is a God who is here in the room. And I love how the Lord declares it. How definitive is that? He is not whispering that he is here. He doesn't just sort of suggest it. Doesn't caveat it. I am with you most of the time. Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, bank holidays, you can count on me. No, declares it. I am with you. A promise declared from the heavens. God is with his people. These people. You think of all of the people that God could have chosen to be with. He chooses these. These ones who have just spent the last 20 years of their life intentionally ignoring him, focusing entirely on themselves, building their own houses, looking to their own interests, devoting themselves to the kingdom of me. The whole while they have been leaving God and his house as a pile of rubble on the ground. These are a group of self-centered, God-ignoring people with disordered hearts that just cannot seem to get life right. And to these people, God says, I am with you. Again, notice, he's not saying, I will be with you. You know, sort yourself out a bit, clean yourself up. Have a go at building this temple. We'll see what it looks like. See how you get on. Then we can chat. No, before you take even one step, one step of obedience, before you 
even begin the work and start to turn in the direction of where the temple should be. As you are, as people who are broken, sinful, disobedient people who just cannot get it together, God says to them, I am with you. This is the kind of people that God chooses to draw near to and come close to. Broken people. People like me, people like you. He wants to be near us. Those who just cannot get life together. People who always are falling back into disobedience. To each of us in the room, he would say, whoever you are, he wants to be with you. You who think, I just keep making a mess of everything in my life. Every relationship I touch, every opportunity I have, I throw it away. To you who has that nagging sense of, I keep trying to be a better person, but I always feel inadequate. I always fall short. He'd say, I want to be with you. To you whose mind is overwhelmed with guilt and shame because you know I have been disobedient to God. I have not listened to him and now look where my life is. He would say to you, I want to be with you. He is the God who draws near to the broken and the hurting. And this morning he is drawing near to us. Whoever we are, he wants to know us and have relationship with us. And he wants us to know him. This is why he asks his people to be obedient. Because he says to them, look, I am with you, but he asks them then to do something. He asks them to do something so that he can be with them even more. Go, build my temple. Now at this point in the history of God's people, the temple was the only place where God could dwell with his people. The only place where God's presence could truly be among his people. And so as he's saying, go and build my temple, as he's saying, be obedient to what I'm asking you to do, he is asking them, would you go and build a house? The house of the Lord, as he refers it to. Would you build me a house so that my house can be among your houses? Will you build me a place so that I can truly and properly be present among you, that I really can be with you? As God is speaking to his people, what he is doing is he is showing them the way that they might have more and more of him in their lives. I think that is just what we so often miss about what is Christian obedience? Why, do we, why should we listen to God? Why should we follow his ways? We can get so lost in, oh, do I want to do that or not? Can I see the reason for it or not? Everything that he says to us through all of Scripture, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, every instruction, every revelation of him, every prophetic word that we might have that he speaks over us, other ways in creation that he might be trying to get our attention and get us to follow him and act, all of it, every single bit of it, is so that we might draw nearer and nearer to him. It is him showing us the way to more of him in our lives. That we obey not out of blind obedience or loyalty. We don't obey because we're in terror or panic about what might God do if we don't listen. But we obey because it's only through hearing the voice of God 
and choosing to obey, saying yes with our lives, that we find God and we see him as he really is. And as we find God, we do find the deepest longings of our hearts met. Again, we've already had that displayed before us this morning. Dime was saying about how the more he has found God, the more he has found connection with God that is deeper than anything that he had experienced in his life before. Armani talking about how he now has purpose and hope and love in his heart that he didn't have before. How many people in our world are truly seeking, how can I find purpose and hope? How can I be a loving person? Hannah spoke about how her only source of joy and her only source of peace is God. And he is her closest friend. These are the things that we long for. And this is the God that we find as we draw near in obedience. For God's people to know, I am with you. That's all he wanted them to hear as they returned from their exile nearly 3,000 years ago. Anxious, uncertain of the world that lay before them, daunted by everything that might come and that stood in front of them. And it's all he wants for us today in our anxiety and uncertainty over what is this world going to look like? What is the future before us? He wants us to be comforted by his presence. And that same God who spoke in the days of Haggai and declared, I am with you. He speaks those same words to us today. But now it's not simply the voice of a prophet. But these words come directly from his own mouth. In some of Jesus' last words before he departed earth and he ascended into heaven, in fact, the same bit that we were looking at before in baptism, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he stood before them, having been slain at the cross, having been sealed in a tomb, dead and buried, but then having been raised up to life, showing that he really is this same God. He really is the God of the temple now walking among them, not now just with them, but now one of them, one of us. Now he appeared to them as one risen, immortal, everlasting. And he gave them this promise. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this Jesus now speaks these words over us as he lives today. He's made known to us through the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, the fulfillment that he has given us of God with us always. Just as Hannah said in her testimony, God is always in the room. And what happens after they hear this promise and this invitation of God with us? They are stirred to act. Stirred to do something. We read about it in verse 14 that Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people, they came as the Lord stirred up their spirit and worked on the house of the Lord. When God speaks to us, we need to act. This morning, there are some who know God has been speaking to me today. And we see here, we can't then just think, oh, that's nice. 
wonder what's for lunch. When he speaks, he's asking for us to respond. And there are some here today who maybe you don't yet know God, but you know, as I was saying before, he's speaking. You're starting to really see, I think he's real. I think I need to do something about this. I think this might be an opportunity for me. Well, today we are going to make an opportunity for you to respond. This is just your kind of heads up, do it in a couple of minutes. But what we're going to do is is make an opportunity for you to be prayed for if you don't yet know Jesus. But you would like to, you just, you know he's speaking, there's something about today, you just, you feel like I need to act, I need to make my obedient response. And there are others, maybe you do know God and you know he is speaking to you. He's asking you to stop something or start something or go somewhere or stay somewhere. And you have been able to ignore him. But this morning he is saying, it's time for you to act. Not just to agree in your heart, not think I'll get to it soon, but to take action. Your response this morning, I think, is to resolve, okay, what does Monday look like now for me? How am I going to actually make an obedient response to what I know God is saying to me. Because he wants you to know, he wants all of us to know, this is the shape of Christian obedience. When he speaks, he is always showing us the way. Showing us the way to more of him. And as we choose, yeah, I'm going to lay that down and go your way. We step closer and closer to the person of Jesus and know him more in his goodness and his glory. Can we have the band? We're going to sing a song in just a moment, and this is, we're just saying, sing a little bit of a song to give you an opportunity to think, okay, what am I going to do now? And for some of you, as I said, this is an opportunity for you to come to God, that maybe you don't yet know him, you haven't yet got a relationship with him. What we're going to ask you to do is we're going to sing through this song, and then I'll come back. And I'm going to make an opportunity for you to come and step forward here. Nothing special about this front bit here. But I think this is a message, as we've seen, where our response is we need to act. We need to do something. And you might not really know what it is you're coming forward for or to. That's okay. This might just be the first step in your journey but you just know I need to do something. God has been revealing himself and speaking. I must act today. And we can chat with you about what that looks like. We'd love to stand with you in this moment for you. And you might even be in this place where it's like, it wouldn't be the first time for me, but I, I know I have been far off from God from a long time. Maybe not 70 years, but a significant part where you feel like, I just, I don't feel like I'm living like a Christian. This for you could be a day, a moment for you to act and come back to God. Turn your life around, turn to him again. So that's where we're going for the rest of our meeting. I'll make an opportunity to respond in just a moment. But we're going to sing through just a little bit of a song to give you time to think. Is this for me? Work out, do I have the courage to sort of excuse me my way through the row and all of those things? Don't worry too much about what other people...